morning, Crawford. Uh, good morning to all of you that are watching um, live stream and may watch this later. Um, it is an honor and a privilege to be standing before you all this morning, um, presenting God's word to you all. Um, as Bert has already said, my name is Jesse Holmes. I am the campus minister for the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. You might know it as BSU back in the day, uh, specifically here at Augusta University. So uh, I am just honored to be able to stand before you and to open up God's word before you. Um, just as some housekeeping things, I was a fourth grade teacher for about five years. So if your kids make noise, I'm not going to hear it because I'm used to kind of tuning things out and doing what I need to do. If they just feel like jumping up and dancing, that is totally fine. I'm not going to see that at all. And honestly, I'm kind of used to some callback. So if they yell out and scream, I'm just going to take that as an amen. And it's just going to keep me rolling. So um, this morning, uh, as everyone has already said, this is our final sermon for our series, The One Another's. Uh, if you've been with us for the past few weeks or watched the previous sermons, you've heard what it means to honor one another. You've heard what it means to serve one another and what it means to sing to and with one another. We cannot stress enough how important these messages are for the life of the church. If you've been following along, you might have noticed some overlap between the messages, right? You've noticed that there are some things that Kevin has said, that Stephen has touched on, that John has touched on. And the reason for that is because our New Testament writers, they're trying to get oftentimes the same point across to the church. How we treat one another, how we interact with one another within the body of Christ is extremely important. It's extremely important, especially given the times and the days that we're in. Uh, it's so very important that we know what it is that Jesus meant by loving and taking care of one another. Sadly, oftentimes, it's the relationships within the household of God that are worse than relationships among non-believers out in the world. And because of that, many come into our local churches and they're so discouraged that they don't want to have anything else to do with it. And so they go away. And we don't want that to be the case for our local gathered body here. And so that is why we've taken these four weeks to preach and proclaim the importance of the one another's. So it is fitting that our final message is what it means to truly love one another because it is impossible to obey all the commands that have been proclaimed before without understanding love. But the question is now, what does it mean to truly love one another? Thankfully, we are not abandoned to have to figure this out on our own. We don't have to look to Disney or to any other uh, TV shows or movies to understand what it means to truly love one another. Thankfully, Jesus articulates it himself to us. So I ask that you will turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, specifically we'll be looking at verses 34 and 35, but we're going to be walking through the chapter as a whole to answer the big question, what does it mean to truly love one another? John chapter 13, specifically verses 34 and 35. Now, truly is within this title because it's, it's really important to understand that our love that we have with one another among each other is not like the same love that the world understands, but it is a truer love because it has been articulated by Jesus. Now, in the context of these chapters, John chapters 13 through 17 are honestly my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. 
Uh, I love just being able to sit. Times where I feel dry spiritually or when I feel discouraged, I love to open up John chapter 13 and just begin to walk through and listen to the encouraging and challenging words of Jesus. And so in these chapters, as Jesus is having this final intimate moment with his disciples, he is imparting some important truths for them to hold on. Now, he knows what's going to happen a few days later after he is crucified. He knows that he's going to rise again, but he wants his disciples to understand, man, these words that I'm sharing with you are of utmost importance because he knows how his boys are. He just got finished walking three years with these guys. He knows how easily they forget very simple truths. He knows how easily they can begin to fight against each other. He knows how easily they can get things twisted and begin to follow things that they should not be following. So Jesus is saying, boys, I need you to listen in. I need you to look at me and listen to the things that I'm about to impart to you because it's going to help you right now as I make my way to the cross and for much longer afterwards. So listen to verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Today we'll see in our text that Jesus commands the sacrificial prioritization of one another. Jesus commands the sacrificial prioritization of one another. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be able to gather today in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all the hardships that's going on in our world today. Father, thank you for your uh, abundant grace that has allowed us to gather this morning. So, Lord, I now decrease that you might increase all the more. Will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to understand what your text says? But most importantly, will you help us to apply these truths to our lives, that we might go out into the world and proclaim your love to other people? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's begin in verse 34. He says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, it's interesting that Jesus would call this a new commandment, right? If you're familiar with the Bible as a whole, this is not a new commandment. Uh, Specifically, if we were to look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, this is what the Lord says. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." So for his boys and for the people of the day, the the children of Israel will be very familiar with the command to love one another. So the question is, what makes this commandment new? What is it about this command, the things that Jesus is about to say, what is it that makes it new? And it's what Jesus says next. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This commandment is new is because no longer do they just have words to try to interpret on their own. No longer are they trying to figure out what it looks like to love one another, but he who wrote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, has now manifested in the flesh, and he's like, let me show you what I'm talking about. The things that were articulated in the times of old, 
The God-man Jesus is now walking on the scene saying, I'm going to show you what I've said in times of old. And so no longer are we trying to figure out, man, what does it look like to love my neighbor as myself? No, we have Jesus as an example. He shows us what it is we ought to do. So now the question is, how does Jesus model to us What is he articulating to us? What does he show us in the text about loving one another? Now, there's lots of different things that we can go through in Scripture to understand this, but I've decided for us to camp out in John chapter 13 because what Jesus does in John chapter 13 is a beautiful display of what it means for us to love one another. The first point is simple. True love is modeled by Jesus. True love is modeled by Jesus. Um, If you are a believer in here today, your call and command is to follow Jesus. That's it. Like our call and command is to listen and hear, understand and obey Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus is now doing in this text, he is modeling before us what it looks like to love like he wants us to love. And so the first thing that we'll see in verses one through four is that Jesus models that true love requires humility. So this is like 1A if you like taking notes. So 1A. Jesus models that true love requires humility. Listen to the text. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Do you see what John is doing right here in this text? Are you seeing and understanding the power of this scene? So let me break it down for you. This is what John is trying to do. He's saying, he who was in the beginning, he through whom and for whom and by whom all things were created, he who is the Lord of lords and kings of kings, he who is the great redeemer of us, he who came and died on the cross and rose again, he who is going to sit on the right-hand side of the Father, he takes off his outer garments. And he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. John articulates it in this way so that we would sit back and say, whoa. Right? Do you feel like saying whoa? Yeah, whoa. We're looking at this and Jesus, who has every right for his feet to be washed by the disciples. Jesus, who, were, who, who is worthy of honor and praise and worship who should be lifted up in this moment, Jesus lays that stuff aside and he models humility. Not just so that we will say, whoa, but so that we will also say, man, I can do no less. I can do no less. If Jesus, who is the master teacher, is doing this, I can do no less. 
What we must understand as believers is that we can't truly love one another apart from humility. Without humility, we get in the way. Without humility, we get in the way. We will only do enough for one another just to get by. We will only do enough for one another so that we can say, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. We will only do enough for one another to feel good about ourselves. But when we are following in step with the master, the reality is that my opinions need to be laid aside so that I can love one another. My preferences need to be laid aside so that I can love one another. My own self-interest needs to be laid aside so that I can love one another. My comforts, the things that make me happy and make me feel comfortable, those things can be laid aside so that I can love one another. And even the positions that I hold in this life, they mean nothing and they should be laid aside so that I might be able to love one another. Our pride will hinder us from obeying this command. And so like Jesus, we recognize, man, I got some stuff going on. You know, I'm cool. I'm all that in a bag of chips. I, I got lots of th letters behind my name. But that stuff is laid aside so that I can love one another. Paul talks about this, if you remember, in Philippians chapter 2. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So Jesus models to us, that true love requires humility. Next we see that true love is both sacrificial and inconvenient. True love that Jesus, Jesus models is both sacrificial and it is inconvenient. Listen to verse 5. As Jesus has done all these things, things, he's laid his garments aside, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, uh, today, when we think about washing your feet, you might think of like the really cute parts in wedding ceremonies where they like wash each other's feet. I don't know if you've seen that. Or maybe if you grew up in a youth group and your youth pastor was like, you know what, well, you guys need to be humble. We're going to wash each other's feet. And so today, it's not that bad. Maybe you have to deal with like some of the lint from the sock on the people's feet or things like that. But let me break down for you what this would have been like in the context of this passage. Now, uh, if, you, if you remember about the age of these disciples, man, we're talking about like teenager age. And if you have teenager boys or if you've been around teenage boys, if they've been walking around in chacos all day, it does not smell like lavender or roses, like at all. Maybe it smells like onions. It's like super gross. You're just like, dude, you need to go wash your feet right now. These are the feet that Jesus has just bent down to wash. Not only that, these boys are not wearing like socks and shoes, so their feet are covered up. They're walking through dirt and stuff all day. So there's dirt probably caked on their feet. These are the feet that Jesus is washing. Last point to this, if you can think about a time where animals are just roaming around, 
man, maybe there's some poop on their sandals, right? That's super gross, right? We don't like animal poop. But that could possibly be on the feet of the disciples. We don't see Jesus shrinking back. We don't say, Jesus, hey, will you boys do a pre-wash and then I'm going to get down and wash your feet? Jesus lays his garments aside and he humbles himself and he sacrificially and he inconvenience himself to model true love to his boys. If Jesus is willing to sacrifice and to inconvenience himself for the sake of other disciples, man, we can do no less. And it's not about just washing each other's feet. It's about going the extra mile. Last week, as Stephen preached, he mentioned that true service for one another, that there's a cost to that. Love cost. True love cost. And if you think that you're able to love without it inconveniencing you or being a bother, then you might not be loving people well. But it should make you say, ow, a little bit. It, it should inconvenience you a little bit. Because in those moments of truly loving one another, we're not thinking about ourselves, but we're thinking about the other person. So, are you willing to be inconvenienced for the brothers and sisters within this local gathered body? Are you ready to sacrifice the things in your life to truly love the brothers and sisters within this local body? A bigger question, man, when was the last time you were inconvenienced for the sake of showing love to another brother and sister within the body? Man, it'll make you say, Al. It'll make you say, oh, man, I got to get up and go do this. But we do it because Jesus Christ has modeled it for us. But lastly, within this, we see he did not just model it before us, but he intended it. He intended his actions to be mimicked. Jesus intended the things that he was doing to be mimicked. Listen to this, verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus is helping his boys understand in us today, and I'm not doing this just to show you a kindness. I'm not doing this just so that your feet will smell better. I'm not doing this because this is, should have been done by someone else. I am doing this because this is an example for you to follow. And this concept of serving is not new to them. Now understand this as a quick side note. You know, many people will cling to this and say, well, Jesus is saying that we all need to wash each other's feet. And so that's what we should be doing at all times. Now, whether you believe that or not, within the context of this text, the point that Jesus is trying to make is he wants us to adopt the attitude of service. Because let me tell you, I, mean, I can take off John's shoes and socks right now and wash his feet, 
But that doesn't mean I have the attitude of service, right? He might not want that because that's pretty awkward to do in church in front of other people. But what Jesus is trying to, uh, to compel us to do is he's trying to help us understand it's about an attitude that will cause us to go above and beyond. This is important for us, boys. If you know anything about Mark chapter 10, it's funny. Uh, the disciples are following behind Jesus, and a disagreement breaks out about who is the greatest disciple. It sounds ridiculous, right? As a fourth grade teacher, I would overhear conversations all the time. Oh, I'm Mr. Holmes's favorite. No, Mr. Holmes really likes me. No, I'm his favorite. And, you know, you have to tell them, no, I don't have any favorites, even though you do secretly. Teachers do have favorites. Um, but so this argument is breaking out with the disciples behind him, and Jesus turns around, and he says something very convicting to them. He says, the rulers of the Gentiles act like this. We don't. He says specifically, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So these guys should be really familiar with that, but clearly they need the lesson uh, preached them over and over again. And I will say the same is true for us. We need constant reminders of the attitude of Jesus that should be displayed in how we love each other within the household of faith. It's not about doing exactly what Jesus has done. It's about having an attitude that leads to action. It's easy to wash feet. But do you have the attitude to compel you to do more? Do you have the attitude to make you uh, sacrifice and be inconvenienced? And you know, another piece of this, it requires knowing the people that you love. And if you think that you're going to uh, sacrifice your time to come clean my house, that is not a loving thing. Let me, let me just tell you. I love to clean. Um, I take pride in the cleaning products that I have. I'm very particular about how things are arranged. So if I walked into my house and you were cleaning things up, that would not be a loving thing to do. Uh, it would make me really anxious and very nervous, and I would be not happy. But if you came over and there was a delicious meal of chicken tenders and mac and cheese and mashed potatoes, listen, man, you're my best friend. You just served great. You just showed great love to me. And the only way that you will love me in that way is if you know me. And the same thing is true about everybody that's around you within the household of faith. If you want to truly love one another, it begins by knowing one another. And so maybe the first step of truly loving one another is to have conversations Because our goal is not just loving, but it's loving with a deep intimacy. And oftentimes we reserve the word intimacy for marriage, but we should have intimacy within our relationships with each other. That brothers and sisters know your heart. That brothers and sisters know what's going on in your mind. That brothers and sisters are able to meet needs before you even voice them. Because within this context, There should have been someone that had already washed their feet. And Jesus noticed that, and he used that as an object lesson. What do you notice about the people around you? Do you notice anything at all? And if so, what are some ways that you can sacrificially love them? 
So Jesus has defined, he has modeled what it means to love one another, and he did not intend for this to be ignored or for it to be excused away or to be overlooked or to be modified for convenience sake. But he has modeled and defined these things so that we would do it just like he did. But that's not the end. There's one last point, which is like a, I'm really excited about this point. This is like super, super awesome. So in this text, we find point number two, that true love is evangelistic. True love among the body of believers, true love within the household of faith is evangelistic. All right, let me read this for you so you'll get this. By this, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow. So let me break this down very quickly. So he says, by this, well, what is this? Everything that Jesus just modeled, everything that Jesus just taught. So by this, by doing these things, all people, well, what does he mean by all people? He is talking about like people on the outside. Like people who are out there looking in, those who are part of the world. So by this, all people will know. So that means through observation, they will have enough information to come to a conclusion. So by this, all people will know they're watching us, they're looking at us, they're observing what we're doing, and so they're able to come to a conclusion that you are. So clearly what Jesus is saying is that all these people are going to come to a conclusion about us. They're going to make a judgment call about us. And what is it going to be? That you are my disciples. Do you hear the weight of that? Those who don't know me, those who are not a part of the household of faith, by looking at what you do, they will be able to make a judgment call, whether you're following in me or not, whether your lives match up with Jesus' teachings or not. Jesus is saying that the love that we display and show each other among each other will be evangelistic. They will proclaim something. Well, why, why is that? It's not because love is the answer or love is the key and all those things. This is why. Because when you look out into the world, uh, coming together on the same page in the midst of differences seems impossible. It just seems utterly impossible. It's not, it's not possible for people that are on two different pages to come together. But that's not how it should be here. That out in the world, it seems impossible for people of different cultures and ethnicities to shake hands together. It doesn't happen out there, but it should happen among us. I mean, when we look out into the world, it seems impossible for Republicans and Democrats to be able to sit together and have a cordial conversation. That might be so out there, but not up in here. Man, it seems impossible looking out in the world for someone who is a fan of the president and someone who is not a fan of the president to be able to break bread together. That might be so out there, but not up in here. 
Man, it might also seem impossible for someone who's a fan of Superman versus a fan of Batman to be able to watch the same TV shows together. That might be true out there, but not up in here. Batman is the best, by the way. But if you like Superman, we can still, we can still eat together. So the point is that when the world looks at us, they should be shaking their heads. They're confused. They can't put it together. They're watching the news and they see how differences just push people further apart. But within the household of God, our differences make us stronger. It makes us better. It makes us more effective and efficient in ministry. But is that what the news channels see? And is that what non-believers see? Do they see our churches rising up, holding hands, in the midst of differences being on one accord? Listen, man, I don't know about out there, but up in here, that's going to happen. Man, if no other church in Augusta is doing what they're supposed to do, Crawford Avenue Baptist Church will. They will see us in the midst of our differences, and they will see us gather together and truly love one another in a way that nobody else understands. And by doing that, they will ask the question, what in the world is going on there? And that's where we're just going to say, well, let me tell you about a man who, who was sitting high and looking low, and he came and put on flesh so that he can teach us the ways that we should go. And not only that, he saw us as sheep without a shepherd going our own way, and he died on the cross that whoever would believe in him might be redeemed not so that they will have a super cool life, but so that they will be in a right relationship with the Father, living not for themselves, but for him who died, and that Jesus has modeled and taught us to love. And not only that, he he recognizes that it's difficult, so we have a helper on the inside, a comforter on the inside to help and to convict us that when we want to be selfish, when we want to be prideful, that Holy Spirit said, boy, you need, to, you need to chill out and you need to love. And when we want to think about ourselves before thinking about other people, the Holy Spirit reminds us, no, that is not how you have been taught. That's why Crawford Avenue Baptist Church, that's why we love. That's why we serve. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we're willing to be inconvenienced, solely because of Jesus. This is what it looks like to truly love one another. This isn't Jesse's words or the pastor's words here at this church. It is Jesus's words. So as a side note, if you have a problem, take it up with Jesus. You know, talk to him about that. But if you are a believer today, man, this message might be hard and difficult, right? because it requires us to maybe cut some things out and add some things in. But even in the midst of this COVID pandemic, I mean, there are so many ways for us to do this today. I could give you a list, but that's actually your homework. Find somebody and talk to them. Find somebody and have a conversation with them. Learn of them, understand them. And in those conversations, you will know what it looks like to truly love them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, Paul says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. May we love each other in such a way that makes the world say, wow. Let's pray. King Jesus, I am so grateful for the example that you set before us. And Lord, we know that it doesn't just end with the washing of the feet, but you, make, you made your way to a cross to die out of obedience to the Father. Lord, will you help us? There's so many things that get in the way of us walking in obedience to your commands. Will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to walk in obedience? Will you, just later on today as we stop to pray and to reflect, will you just point out one person, just bring to our mind one name to have a conversation with to begin walking in obedience? We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray.